0: Hey, what's going on? It's At the Letters, brought to you by Miller Light, the original Light Beer. Today is Tuesday, August the 3rd. My name is Arden Swelling. He is Ben Nicholson Smith, and our producers are Kristen Ryan and Tom Stewart. Ben, a lot going on for the Blue Jays uh, over the last seven to ten days. You got you know, the trade deadline, you got really important games, you got a wild card push. More importantly, a lot going on for us. Back of the ballpark, baby. 15,000 sounding like
1: 50,000 and representing so many more from coast to coast
0: to coast in this great country who are so happy Tabby, to see their baseball team back where they belong. You know, you talk about it getting you. I felt it right here in my heart to feel the love coming out of the stands from the fans. The vibe in the city today was something that I haven't seen or felt for so long and the players were so excited about it back in the saddle first time in 670 days that i've seen a live professional mlb game uh not so bad yeah it definitely beats uh zoom and uh you know
1: zoom obviously served a purpose but you know it was really great to be back physically in the ballpark to watch a baseball game it is something that probably did take for granted for a long time and just to be able to watch the games in person again was great. It it was some really good baseball over the course of that few days against the Royals and and then against Cleveland. As we record this on, on Tuesday here... So the product on the field has been good. But just having the chance to be back in that press box and kind of use your own eyes and use your own observational powers in a sense to kind of watch what you want to watch. If there's someone in BP and you really want to zone in on them, you can do it. If you want to watch someone warm up between innings, that option exists to you. It's not cutting to commercial. And so after a very long time of having that arm's length experience of watching baseball, it was great. And, and uh, you know, obviously you were there as well over that weekend. But I, I thought it was really great to be able to have a bit more proximity to
0: the game and just feel a bit more connected to it the thing that television does for not just baseball but for all sports is it like robs the speed of it and the intensity of it and the the pace of play and you don't really notice until you've been away from it for a while and then you come back you notice like the smallest little things like Randall Grichik, you know taking second base on a wild pitch or pass ball or whatever and just thinking oh, man, like he was flying. Like he is going so fast. Uh, and he's not even like, you know, one of the faster guys on the team, not exactly a burner. And he is moving so quickly between bases, you know, just seeing the uh, just the power of some of the swings, right? And seeing the way the ball comes off of Teoscar Hernandez's bat and Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s bat. And he clubs it to left field. And the Blue Jays have the lead. Mm-hmm that fastball. He's gonna go join the neighborhood after that long run. Seeing some of the stuff up close, it's like that experience you get every spring training where, because you never get closer to the game, that you do at spring training, and just seeing like big league stuff up close, and being like, "Oh, like how does anybody ever hit this? Like how does anyone ever hit a home run? That sounds that's absurd that somebody ever actually makes contact with this from sixty feet six inches." So you know, the further away you sit from the game, the easier it looks, and uh you know, the furthest way you can be is watching on TV. So you know, you really do get an appreciation for just how quick the game is, the power, the speed, all those things when you're back there live in the flesh 100
1: even the size of these players right and in some cases haven't been around these guys in in person before ever and even now it's limited you know we're not right beside them we're certainly not in the clubhouse the way we would be in years past something that again we just took for granted as a fact of life when it comes to covering major league baseball so there are lots of protocols in place that we're now getting used to but even with that, you're still closer to these guys. If it's 20 feet, for example, or 10 feet away, you can still get a sense of, of their size and they're big dudes. I mean, you, you almost forget that. We got so used to it in the course of a season. But say, you know, a Taylor Saucedo, someone I'd never seen before, and he's out there in the concourse on, I think it was the first day. And kind of walking, you know, again, you're not right beside him, but you're kind of in proximity to him. You're like, this is a big human being. And so there's there's that aspect to it. Even sitting in the press box on Monday, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Is up and he hits this laser 115 mile an hour home run. And it lands, again, probably 70, 100 feet away. But it's also like you kind of have to keep your head up because if he pulls that foul, well, it could actually land in my seat. It could come toward you. So there's that you know connection to it. It's not just the abstract number that you see on Baseball Savant, but it's the reality that that 115 mile an hour foul ball could land
0: on your desk. Yeah. Imagine standing at third base. Imagine. Right infield in for vladimir Guerrero jr and uh you know a a potential lock-off spot in in extra innings or something like that and having to like deal with 110 plus mile an hour laser beam possibly uh coming at you to the to the pull side um so ben like flash back then to uh before we were back at the ballpark uh july 28th july 29th if i had told you hey the blue jays are going to trade austin martin and simeon woods richardson uh in the next 24 hours what do you think that trade would have looked like? Like, what do you think would have had to happen for those names to be heading out of the organization of the trade deadline?
1: My first guess might have been Trey Turner. Uh, Jose Barrios probably would have been a guess that I would make. Like, you would have to be talking about a very, very good baseball player. And I know I asked Ross Atkins this, like, hey, like, how aggressive would you guys have gone when it comes to trading for players who were just rentals. And his answer actually surprised me a little bit. He said that they would have seriously considered making a a big trade for a rental. So that was interesting to me, but it wasn't what I was expecting. What I was expecting, as listeners of ATL will know, was that they would take more of a middle path and that they would take more of a, hey, like we've got a decent chance here, but we're not going to mortgage the future. We're not going to trade away these, these top, top prospects for Someone who's going to help us this season. I thought it was going to be more Michael Pineda and Ian Kennedy or, you know, Joaquin Soria, who, of course, they did end up getting, but pair that with John Gray. And so I was surprised. I think there's a lot to get to here um, when it comes to what this says about Martin, what this says about the Blue Jays, but super
0: interesting at first glance. And to me, it was a surprise. We were sitting in the press box of Shy at like, what, 9.30 that morning. I remember we were kind of throwing around like predictions of like, what do you think actually happens today? I'm pretty sure I said something. I probably said like Gray and Richard Rodriguez. Or something like that, or like you know, Merrill Kelly and like Soria, or so. It, it was like the names that you were just throwing out there, right? Like we were thinking, you know, not anything that dramatic. We knew they were going to do something, uh, but <laughs> did not foresee this trade: Jose Brios for uh, Austin Martin and Sami Woods Richardson. Like as the names started coming in, Ben, and this thing has started getting reported. I don't know about you, like I had some real initial sticker shock just at the names that were going out and then you know you take some time and and you know you 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 report and gain some perspective and and maybe you know your opinion changes but like at first blush as i first saw it serious serious sticker shock on the price of the blue jays paid here absolutely i mean it's a significant significant price
1: we're talking about top prospects top 100 prospects and you know i I get that there's uh, an impulse amongst some commentators or fans to say hey prospects are they're for poor people. Prospects aren't for contenders to worry about. Prospects are something that you can easily discard. I think there's the middle way to look at it and say, look, you want to improve your team. The most important thing at all times is the major league team. We're talking about major league baseball here. You want to win in the majors. So the major league team, first and foremost, but still prospects are important. And I think that the best teams in baseball show that you want to have both at once. So I I still don't want to be cavalier in saying, Austin Martin, like whatever. They don't need him anyway. They've still got Groshans. They've still got Kevin Smith or Elvis Martinez. Yes, they have those guys. But ultimately, your evaluation of Austin Martin is so important here. And, and, and of course, that's that's obvious. But if you think Austin Martin is going to become a star, like if you think that there's a Alex Bregman, uh, you know, career coming from Austin Martin you can't trade him. It doesn't matter if you have other infield prospects. doesn't matter if Jose Barrios is a great player. If you think that that's who Austin Martin is or who he's becoming or that there's a real chance of that happening, can't make that trade. So one thing this tells me is the Blue Jays don't think that's who he is or they wouldn't have made this deal. They think that... You know, who knows where he lands? Maybe is he a Dansby Swanson? I mean, that's a possibility. You know, could he be Elvis Andrews or Starling Castro? There are good major league baseball players who are not stars. And if you trade away Elvis Andrews and he goes on to have a good but not great career for someone, you can live with that. I mean, that's fine. But it's super interesting because to me, so much of this deal comes down to what Austin Martin is, who he can become. And the Blue Jays evaluation of him internally was that first step and really the most important thing in this whole trade because we know who Brios is. He's great. He's going to help this team. But the evaluation of Austin Martin here is, is super fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, there's so many things at play there. Um, and the Blue Jays' front office knows more about Austin Martin and Simeon Woods-Richardson than anyone, right? They've worked very closely with them for some time, for longer in, in Woods-Richardson's case and for about a year in Martin's case. So they know the character. They know the makeup, they know the work ethic, they know the strengths, they know the flaws, they know the health history, they know the willingness to make adjustments, so, like, I hear you, man, like, you kind of have to wonder, like, if they truly believed these guys were can't miss, would they have made this deal? No I'm change. not so sure, right? And that's where you have to have faith in your evaluation because you could be wrong about that, right? Like, you know, it's just like with I remember saying this after the Stroman deal for Woods Richardson and Anthony K a a couple of years ago. Like, we can't judge this trade today. Like, we can't be prisoners of the moment here. Maybe we can judge this trade in five years. We might not even be able to judge it then, right? Like you have to see what. Austin Martin and Simeon Woods-Richardson become. You have to see if they become good, consistent MLBers and and you have to see if Jose Barrios pitches the Blue Jays to the postseason this year. If he helps them return next year, you have to see how long, if he's in Toronto beyond that. Eventually, we will be able to evaluate this thing, but we can't right now. But what I do know about the Blue Jays is that they are very value driven and they do not offer like player exchanges and trade or, you know, the money and free agency that they haven't determined beforehand that they are very comfortable paying. Like they know their price and they are very disciplined and regimented in what they offer and how they conduct their business. Like they have very clear walkaways. So clearly they see the value in this deal. And whether that is because they're very high on Jose Barrios, whether that's because they're lower on Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson than maybe they once were, like who's to say? Could be a little bit of both. But I don't think that this deal gets done without the Blue Jays front office, like heavily scrutinizing and heavily debating and considering like the price that they are paying and coming to a very objective conclusion that this in the end is going to be a net positive for the franchise. And it's so
1: interesting because if if you look at it from a spreadsheet point of view right and if you just weigh out the war now versus war later a friend of mine asked me about this and kind of looking at Someone like Austin Martin, who's who's probably the headliner, a little ahead of, of Woods Richardson, it seems at this point, even though Martin has legit questions about his power and his position, still a very good prospect, still a top uh, 100 prospect. So if you were to say, OK, let's project him for the next six, seven years when he's under team control, you're still probably projecting a two-war player or one-and-a-half or two-war player, even if you don't think that he's a superstar, he's probably going to be a good major league player. So If you add up, let's call it two war times six seasons, you're at 12 war. There's no way Jose Barrios is giving you 12 war in the next year and a half. So if you look at it from that standpoint, of course, the Twins win the deal. And this is a really good deal for the Twins. I like this deal for the Twins. But it doesn't mean that it's a bad deal for the Blue Jays either. And... We don't know it's a good deal. As you say, it'll take time for, for us to know, but it doesn't yeah. inherently make it a bad deal because if you're a buying team, and this applies to the Yankees with Joey Gallo, this applies to the Dodgers with Max Scherzer, if you're a buying team, you're not looking to win that war spreadsheet calculation. You need wins now, and you need wins in the playoffs. And so for the Blue Jays, they get Barrios right now when they're trying to win games and make the wild card. They get wins in the playoffs if they make it that far. And then in 2022, they also get him for the playoff run. And those difference-making arms in the playoffs, like we're not talking about Tanner Roark here. Jose Brios is a frontline arm. So just as I can see the path where the Twins win this deal, I can also see the path where the Blue Jays win this deal. And there is no doubt that the Blue Jays right now are a way better team with Jose Barrios on it.
0: And it's just kind of the cost of doing business right now in the summer of 2021, right? Like, you know, markets fluctuate, right? Like this was the price for a durable, controllable, frontline starter, like at this deadline. It's a different price than what the price was in 2019. You can compare this directly to that Stroman trade that I mentioned, right? Where it's like Simeon Woods, Richardson and Anthony K for Strowman. Like at the time of that deal, Strowman same age as Brio, same like distance to free agency, you know, you're two months and, and a year after that, similar durability, innings pitch, similar ERAs. I mean, Stroman maybe even like having a better season in 2019. Like he was like really good in 2019. Blue Jays gets Woods, Richardson and Anthony K for him. That was the cost. Then the cost now for a similar player is Simeon Woods Richardson and Austin Martin, right? So that's just the cost of doing business right now. And uh you know, Minnesota didn't have to move the player. Is the other thing, right? Like you think about, you know, I was talking about having clear walkaways, right, and like knowing your values. Well, what school is Derek Falvey out of? The Cleveland school, right? Like Shapiro and Atkins, like they think very similarly. So like he probably had a very clear walk away and you kind of you know you hear that the ask of various teams was sky high because clearly Derek Falvey knew he had, like had a really good player to trade and didn't have to trade him. And clearly was comfortable in walking away and in not trading him. Because like Minnesota probably wants to be good again next year. They wanted to be good this year. So Jose Barrios could certainly help them be good again next year. So I'm sure that Minnesota was perfectly willing to exit a negotiation if they weren't getting the value that they were looking for. So this is just like what the cost was This year. And I think that, you know, the other sort of hidden cost that the Blue Jays had to factor in is the opportunity cost of not investing in this 2021 team, right? Because, like, for as, I don't know, like, middling as the playoff odds have been at certain points, and for the fact, you know, for the Blue Jays just kind of hovering a little bit above 500 all season, never really taking charge in the wildcard race, like, they're in a good position. And they're in a position that's like not easy to get to. And there is no guarantee that they will be in this position again at next year's trade deadline. And there's no guarantee that they're going to get another MVP-level season, MVP-level healthy season, out of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And there's no guarantee that Bo is going to have the season he's having. There's no guarantee you're going to get big contributions from veterans on short-term deals like Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon. Hey man, Hunjin Ryu ain't getting any younger. You got this big uh, second-half impact from George Springer providing plenty of wins. Like, there is an opportunity cost there in not reinforcing this team. Like, it is hard to be in the position the Blue Jays are in now, and they ought to be taking advantage of it. So to not make a deal like this would have a, a bit of a hidden cost as well.
1: For sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, this is a team that needed to upgrade at the deadline. There was no question about that. And, you know, if they had gone out and got Michael Pineda instead, I still think, you know, that would have been a viable path ahead. I think that would have been probably the safer path ahead in a lot of ways. Uh, and so what we saw here, it was very different than that, and it tells us a lot about the team on the field, which is is way better, pairing that with the additions of Soria, of course, and Brad Hand, who's off to a pretty questionable start with the Jays, but still should help them improve their bullpen on paper. And then, you know, even beyond the, the roster itself, it really tells us something about this front office. And we have tried to anticipate, and we will continue to try to anticipate their moves, but to me this kind of is a reminder that, It's not necessarily easy to just look at what these guys have done in the past. And by these guys, I'm talking about Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, of course, and say, okay, well, they haven't traded top prospects in the past, so therefore they're not going to in the future. They haven't signed big money players to free agent contracts in the past, so therefore they're not in the future. What we're seeing here is that they are doing new things and they are doing different things than they have done in the past. So That opens up a lot of different possibilities and makes them less predictable. And as we kind of look ahead and try to anticipate what they might do, it's something that's worth keeping in mind.
0: Yeah, and I think it speaks to the faith in their the depth of their system a little bit in saying they're like, hey, we can trade like two guys who are you know in our top ten prospects and still feel pretty good about the young talent that we have coming up especially up the middle, right? When you think about it, like, I don't know if you want to put Kevin Smith in in that up the middle, like, conversation or not, but he's a triple-A. Otto Lopez just promoted to triple-A, having another really strong season, quietly. Jordan Groshans, obviously, or Elvis Martinez, Miguel Geraldo, Leo Jimenez, and then, like, you know, further off guys like Machado and Beltre, like... It's a position of surplus, and oh by the way, the guy at the big league level is no slouch in Bo Bichette, who's playing shortstop for them right now. And they're able to go out on the free agent market and find a guy like Marcus Simeon to play up the middle. And there's a ton of really good up the middle players available in free agency coming up this winter. So like, I think the Blue Jays just felt like, yeah, like you know, if Austin Martin is the price, like we feel okay backfilling organizationally. From there, and like you said, um, it's not a Michael Pineda who they're getting; it's a Jose Barrios, right? And like, let's like cards on the table. Like, if they had gotten Michael Pineda and Soria in, in hand, then I probably would have come on here and said, like, yeah, I mean, it was a fine deadline. Like, they made incremental upgrades. Like, they got better. You know, they addressed some areas of need. Jose Barrios is like an impact addition. Like, it just hits a lot differently, and you saw that immediately in his debut the other day.
1: Oh, absolutely. He was great in the debut. And I think that's probably fair to expect from him going forward. I mean, he's not going to pitch six shutout every time, but he's a really good starting pitcher. He's a good number two. You know, is he in that number one conversation? Maybe, but he's a really good number two starter. That's great. And, you know, again, I I think the Twins did well to get Austin Martin because they get to have a guy who's close to the major leagues. Maybe he's someone who hits 280 with a 370 on base and not that much power. But, hey, that's still a good player. That's still a player who's going to help them win games for you know a lot of years. So I think that that's a player who will help them. And given their position, I like what the Twins did for sure. But for the Jays, so much of this does come down to, as we're saying, that internal evaluation. And I've tried to talk to people and get a sense of, hey, like, where does Austin Martin stand? And I have heard from people who said, I'm really not that high on Austin Martin. I just don't get him as, you know, being ranked as high as he is. And yet, still, the industry consensus has him as a very highly valuable player. So again, to that point of opportunity cost, if you have a player like that in your system, whether you have your doubts or not, that's someone who can help you augment your major league team. And the Blue Jays chose to use that chip, if you want to call it that, use that opportunity in front of them to get Jose Barrios. And and we're going to see what he can do down the stretch. But the early indications are, are
0: really encouraging. It's funny, just like uh, we've had very limited exposure to Jose Brios like to this point. But even just in the times that we've talked to him, he just says things that I'm like, oh, like I get it like i see why the blue jays love this guy right like you hear you know the way he talks about like his work ethic and how important nutrition is to him and and how important his routines are in between starts and sleep and you know the you know the, the way he likes to make adjustments on the mound and execute a game plan and the way he kind of thinks his way through his outings um you know he talks about wanting to keep learning every day and wanting to you know every, you can always get better and always find something to improve on i'm like oh i've heard all these things like Ad from the Blue Jays front office for years. Like, no wonder they love this guy. And that's all on top of, by the way, like the durability, which has been huge Through which is like something that the Blue Jays really value in starting pitchers is just durability. You see with Robbie Ray this year, we don't talk about it enough. His durability has been exceptional. Jose Barrios is top 10 in starts in innings pitch since 2018. It is like one of the most underrated aspects of being a frontline MLB starter is like, do you take the ball? Every five days like are you on the IL two to three times a season or are you making all your starts routinely going six seven innings saving a bullpen that is on top of the exceptional curveball that he throws the two fastballs they's got the change up the really good command the low walks throw strikes getting chase outside the zone landing all your pitches inside the zone for called strikes getting lots of ground balls the sinker and a change up like i just think you know you you layer all those things together and it's like oh yeah like of course the blue jays are willing to pay a high price for this guy like this is extremely their kind of dude and then he comes with sort of that ancillary benefit as well of like being pretty cheap for what he provides i think it's like six million dollars this year goes through arb next year and gets i don't know 10 10 and a half like that is nothing for what he can provide or at least what he has provided historically and what you can reasonably expect him to continue to produce as he heads towards free agency
1: yeah, the price should be high for Jose Barrios. It, it should be. I mean, he's he's a really good pitcher. You know, the temptation exists, and I've totally indulged in it, where you kind of look ahead at 2022 and you say, man, they have a, a nice uh, structure to that rotation that they can now build on in free agency to have Barrios and Ryu and Alec Manoa, Pearson likely rejoining that group. So he does become a longer-term piece. But even shorter term, which that's a huge part of this trade and, and a huge part of what the Blue Jays are trying to do, he just makes them such a better team. And as I start looking at this roster, even, you know, you're, again, back in the press box at Rogers Center, you look down at the field, you kind of map out each position and you think about the pitching staff and you're like, this team is good. Like, I know their record <laughs> isn't good and we'll see where it leads, right? Good teams miss the playoffs sometimes. Baseball's a tough sport for that. So they might not make the playoffs. This might not quote unquote work out in the way that they're hoping it will. Because weird things happen all the time and the Jays have underperformed so far. But when I look at this team, like it's a good baseball team. They have a good rotation, the bullpen's okay, and they have an amazing lineup. So this is a really good team, and I won't be surprised at all if, if they make it to the playoffs.
0: And if they do, they have now acquired a guy in Jose Barrios with playoff experience and who has like pitched well in the postseason, which is something the teams value, right? Like Rambrus quoted to me like a long time ago, it was like, you know, one good postseason start is worth like five good regular season starts uh you know teams really value um players who have shown metal in those big moments and players who have like at the end of a long season at the end of 160 170 180 innings pitched then shown up for an october start and shoved and been like as you know and dialed it in even further and like really brought it on those days, that's something Jose Brios has done in his career. So that's something you can, like, take to the bank if the Blue Jays get to the postseason, is that you are going to have a Brios, a and a Ryu, who are, like, three, like, really veteran dudes, obviously very good, but guys who you trust in big moments, some guys who you can, like, pitch in a playoff rotation and feel really good about sending out to the mound like that's kind of and there's like there's just so many underrated things Brios, like i noticed the other day when during his outing like he fields his position really well very well he's like an infielder out there it's like you know shades of stroman again like just the parallels to the Strowman deal here like he just fields his he must have been an infielder coming up because he's just so athletic and he reacts well and he's just like very calm and poised and cool his demeanor is great on the mound like there are a lot of very like underrated aspects to the Jose Barrios package that uh, start to really become clear when you watch him closely.
1: Even the Jays are hoping there will be a trickle down to the other pitchers on the staff where the rotation yeah. right now they go to six-man rotation because they're in this stretch 25 games in 24 days okay you add Barrios in the other starters can breathe a little bit and for the bullpen too I mean on a day that Burrios is pitching you're expecting six maybe seven innings That can give your bullpen a breather. And that's a good thing because, you know, this bullpen, it's a little better now. Simber and Richards have been great for the most part. Really good pickups. Soria should help. Hands should help. And yet, it's still not a great bullpen. It's okay. Like, it's passable. And we saw guys like Craig Kimbrell being moved, just reinforcing how high the prices were to move. Craig Kimbrell midseason for extremely high prices um, for Nick Madrigal really tells you that Austin Martin and again, Kimbrell has one plus year of control. So same as Barrios and Nick Madrigal might be who Austin Martin becomes as like a high average, pretty good OBP, not a lot of power player, but Madrigal's already in the big leagues and that that was the cost for Kimbrell. So Jays didn't pay that price for the reliever. They did for the starter. And they're hoping that there
0: can be some good trickle down effects from from having Barrios around. Yeah. I wonder where I fall on this, because I still have like very big questions about this team. I agree with you. Like they're they're obviously better, and I think they are a good team. But like I would go so far as to say the bullpen is a flat out weakness. It is not to the level that you would expect of an elite postseason team, Ben. Like no. this this club yeah. is missing Kirby Yates. It is missing yeah. David Phelps. It is missing Julian Merriweather in a big way. Back there. Like there still is a lack of like true high velocity swing and miss, high leverage arms at the back end of that bullpen. You look at Robbie Ray, who is like credit to him, like grinding out a couple starts here, but seems to have hit a little bit of a tough stretch in his season, right? Like, you know, the K-rate down a little bit, the walks up a little bit, doesn't seem to be getting the swing and miss he once was. These things happen throughout the course of regular season, and he has locked a ton of volume. This season, but it's like, all right, is this just gonna be a blip like Hun Jin Ryu had a month ago, or is this something that continues? Um, is Ross Stripling going to continue to be effective? What is Steven Matz? Does Alec Manoa run into rookie trouble? Yeah, is the bottom third of this lineup going to be more consistent and more steady, or is it still gonna be a lot of like Reese McGuire plate appearances and you know Kevin Biggio played appearances that haven't really looked great lately? Can Santiago Espinal stay hot? Can the hitters in general produce better in late close game situations? Like, can they fare better against high leverage relief against other clubs' bullpen arms? Because they've done a decent job against starters, unless they've never seen them before, apparently. But, like, you know, there is a real problem with hitting late in close games and with facing high velocity and premium stuff late in games the defense can still be suspect right if Vigio's a third or you know Kirk behind the dish leaves something to be desired Bo Bichette can run hot and cold defensively is hey, gonna have his gaifs. um like it's you know you can look at any team and pick out flaws right but like I you know I'm not ready to you know sit here and say like this is a really good team that's gonna go on a run and go to the postseason like I still have a lot of questions about this team and I guess we've got like 60 games for them to answer them for sure. As
1: you say, they are by no means a perfect team. There are lots of weaknesses, lots of questions. It's objectively unlikely still that they're going to miss the playoffs. That's a fact, even after these trades and even after playing really well. But I look honestly around the American League and I think the White Sox are better and the Astros are better. I don't see another team that I, I'm comfortable saying is better. The Rays, the Yankees, the Red Sox. I think the Jays are the best team in the American League East. I really do. And you know that's not to say that they're going to win the division because they're not. You know, it's not yeah. happening, folks. But you know, they they might win the wild card. They might not. You know, the, the odds say they probably won't. But I, tr- I truly think you look at this team right now. I think they're the best team in the American League East. Which, great, that gets you nothing for me to say that on a podcast. Or even if it's true, gets you nothing. The goal isn't to be the best. The goal is to actually win the games, proceed to the playoffs, and
0: and not just be good on paper. But I, I think they're quite good on paper right now. Yeah, it's one thing to be good on paper, but I mean, on, you know, the standings, <laughs> the yeah. Red Sox have a massive lead, right? Like, yep. You know what? They're up like eight games on the Jays right now. It's gonna be very hard to overcome that, right? Like they're just like way ahead in the race. So now it's like you have to be better than the, the Yankees and the Rays. Um, although I guess the Rays in Bo- are kind of pushing Boston right now, actually. So maybe you even put the Rays up with Boston, too. Like it's basically like you got to be better than the Yankees and then in Def- the A's too. you know, Oakland and pass Houston, them. right? Yeah. So those are basically the teams that you've got to be better than unless Cleveland's going to have like a late season. They're not surge. They're Um, not. Beat the Blue Jays on my Uh, (laughs) yeah, We'll see how the rest of the series plays out. But basically that is the task for the rest of the season. It's going to be very hard to catch the Red Sox and the Rays as well, I would suspect. So it's like be better than the Yankees and be better than Oakland, assuming Houston's going to win the West it's not easy
1: it's it's really not it really sets up a super interesting couple months here and you know we we can certainly say that the Brios trade has given us that because it's a lot more interesting than if they had traded you know samad taylor for michael Pineda or whatever we were predicting and it's it's a lot more interesting when things aren't predictable so uh it's it's already been a fun trade deadline fun return to toronto and I, i really think the next couple months will only add to that
0: Let's step away, but when we come back, we will take a bit of a look around the the rest of the league and what happened at the trade deadline, take a look at some uh, some odds and ends when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays, all that and so much more when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on At The Letters, Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Tom Stewart. And it is time now for Keeping It Light, presented by Miller Light. Before we get to this week's topic... Then it is time to announce the winner of the Miller Lite Relief Catcher Glove. We had asked for contest submissions. How many double plays are Blue Jays going to turn in July? It was a question. Got a lot of entrance. Nobody went under. So <laughs> Price is Right rules not in effect. Here, as confirmed by the Blue Jays, as added up by Ben Nicholson-Smith first, but then confirmed... By the Blue Jays, thank you very much to Rodney Heemstra from the Blue Jays PR department for confirming this for us. Blue Jays turned 10 double plays in July. And that means that the winner of the uh, relief catcher glove is uh Matt Pynchon, who guessed 16. So there were some people who were close, I think there was an 18 in there and maybe a 20. There's also some numbers like in the 60s and 70s, which is, uh, you know, pretty high guess. But uh, congratulations to Matt for for being the closest.
1: Yeah, congratulations to Matt on winning the Relief Catcher Glove. Very cool. That's awesome. And yeah, how, how crazy is that? So we asked for these uh, answers and we got a lot of submissions. So thanks to everybody who sent one in and everyone was wrong like we had the tiebreaker in there for you know Vlad Jr's OPS in the month of July which was 941 by the way Vlad Jr just keeps doing incredible things but yeah everyone was wrong they only turned 10 double plays it's kind of crazy and and like you said Arden the guesses went as high as 72 people were like really thinking the Jays were just going to be this double play turning machine all month and i get it because you look around major league baseball and Generally speaking, if you look at the double play totals, 50 per month has been the norm around baseball to this point per season, Five zero, And the Jays turned 10 in July, and I get, hey, they were off for a stretch, obviously, All-Star Week, you're not playing games then. So that's going to reduce the total number of double plays that you would expect. But it was a very low number, and I might have to follow up with Rod here and see where that ranks in Blue Jays' history, because it just strikes me that that is an extremely low number of double plays. So I'm not surprised that everyone was off given those circumstances, but no
0: one was even close. Yeah, what, what would you think you would have come in at? Like, I probably would have been somewhere around 20 is probably what I would have guessed. I think I would have been higher. I think
1: I would uh, have said, you know, started with 50 as a baseline and scaled it back because of the All-Star. So I probably might have come in around 40. The Jays also want a great defensive team. So, and, and, you know, I don't know. You, you not non-play a ton in this area. Yeah, like. I, I know, but even still, teams are, are more often getting more than one double play per game. So... I think I would probably would have said 40, and uh, I would have been very, very
0: wrong. So congrats to Matt. 16 ended up being a very good guess. Yeah, no doubt. So, on to this week's topic, this week's question. Uh, and we might as well look back on the trade deadline and kind of recalibrate things in the American League East because uh, just about everybody was active. Uh, you know, the Baltimore Royals obviously not trying to win right now, but you got four other teams trying to win. Uh, it's always good to have like a competitive division to cover, right? And a little, uh, West, AL, East, like a play, you know, a, a division where there's like a ton of teams. They're trying to get better and, and trying to reach the postseason and trying to like ideally win the divisions. So you don't have to play a coin flip game, but, you know, at the very least, put yourself in in a good spot for for the wildcard race. So we saw, you know, obviously the Blue Jays picking up Jose Barrios, Brad Hand, Joachim Soria, uh, the Red Sox get Cal Schwarber, the Yankees go out and get Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo, the Rays get Nelson Cruz. Where do you fall, Ben, if I were to ask you which of the AL East teams had the best trade deadline?
1: What a great trade deadline it was. You know, just generally for fans, sure. It was crazy. It was a lot of activity. And the AL East was front and center. I mean, these teams, all four of the contending teams got better in meaningful ways, too. We're not just talking around the margins. But to me, I'm going to put the Yankees and Blue Jays as co-winners here. I think what they did in a sense was similar. Even though for the Jays, it was all pitching. For the Yankees, it was all hitting. But for the Yankees, it centers around Joey Gallo. He's a Yankee now through 2022 kind of comparable to Barrios for the Jays, who will also be a Jay through 2022. They're very good players, are all-star caliber players, impact guys who help the team now and in the future. Then, not only do they do that, these teams both went out and added further with rentals. So the Yankees add Rizzo, the Jays add Soria in hand. These are deals that help those teams. And and again, the Yankees and Jays are also in similar spots in that they don't have assurances of making the playoffs. But they want to push forward. They want to advance their chances. And so I'm going to put them as co-winners. I know that's a bit of a cop-out. But I think what they did is kind of similar. And they're both better teams for it. So the prospects they gave up, considerable. Maybe they end up regretting this. Who knows? But they made their teams better. And I think they, in a sense, I think they did it in similar ways. I
0: see your argument. And I think they both did well. Um, Where I would kind of discount the Blue Jays is that they stopped at Jose brios like i kind of feel like if you're gonna go out and get jose like keep going and you even kind of think about it, it was all that was almost the big surprise of that day for me after they got brios was that they didn't go out and do something else substantial and i'm sure that they were trying uh you know and it was you think about when that deal got done like it's before noon, or even like maybe right around noon. Like, it's not like they just were like, "All right, <laughs> we're done." I'm sure they spent the next four or four and a half hours trying to do more, and they end up coming away with just Yaukeem Soria over the rest of that day. So, you know, I would have thought that they would upgrade their bullpen more substantially than they did, and make more impact there than they did with you know Hand and and Soria. And I'm sure they are anticipating that internally, Nate Pearson is going to show up and be. Nate Pearson that we saw in the postseason last year. And that is going to be big time impact. And I'm sure they're hopeful that Julian Merriweather can get back on a mound at some point and help this team in in September, maybe closer to October. Um, Those would be two really good arms to have, but you know, I would kind of, you know, discount the blue Jays for not doing more. Whereas the Yankees like went above and beyond all in on their lineup, which like, I know that they have had trouble scoring runs, this year for whatever reason, but adding Gallo and Rizzo to that line, like it's kind of ridiculous, Ben, right? Like you look at like DJ LeMay, he was your leadoff guy. And then what two through six, it's like names out of the hat, like like Judge, Stanton, Rizzo, Gallo, Sanchez, Torres. Like it, It's crazy the way you order those guys. Luke Voigt is coming back at some point. I'm sure it wasn't having the season that, that he wanted to, but it has been good in the past. Clint Frazier can be good for you. Like they might have these games with some of those bats where they like strike out 27 times, but they might have some games where they score 27 runs. So I do kind of like them going all in on, on the lineup. Um, And obviously like their rotation leaves something to be desired. And Andrew, Heaney ain't, ain't the answer, (laughs) but here comes Luis Severino, right? Coming back from Tommy John surgery. And here comes Corey Kluber, Returning who like, oh, by the way, like maybe you forgot Threw a no hitter this year. It seems like a million years ago, but this is like really good before he was injured. I think their bullpen has to be better than it's been just considering some of the pedigree that is out there. Um, And they also like added a couple of relievers at, at the deadline to kind of help paper things over. For now. And then also, like the other kind of cool bit of like jujitsu that they played at this deadline, is they didn't take on any salary. <laughs> yeah. Like got other teams to pay the freight on Gallo and on Rizzo. So, you know, I thought Brian Cashman had a, a good deadline. And I would say that in the AL East, New York Yankees had the best deadline of any team.
1: Yeah, it's a fair answer. And, and the Yankees are so fun. I, I kind of like it when, you know, when teams have some continuity to them, if that's the right word, you know, where there's like a, a common theme to a bunch of the players, whether it's, you know, those Royals teams that used to all put the ball in play or, you know, back, maybe this is five or 10 years ago now, but you used to think that the Tigers would draft velocity or the twins would have these ground ball pitchers who pitch to contact. And it turns out that wasn't a great strategy, but um, you know, basically the Yankees, what they've done is they have these massive human beings who crush baseballs and yes, <laughs> they swing and miss a bunch, but they just have these massive,
0: massive dudes. And it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, no, for sure. So, Hey man, the blue Jays have, they were cut out for them in this American league. East when you look at you know, Boston with the lead that they had established. Tampa is just, good as they always are and now the yankees loading up and you would expect them to be better over the next two months so it's gonna be really interesting to kind of see how this race plays out down uh, down the stretch blue jays uh you know in kind of a sneaky way making another addition here today like literally as we're recording this they're uh activating cory dickerson off the il kevin biggio is going to go back on the il with those neck issues that he had earlier this year and then he's been playing through them for a while and now he's gonna you know sit out another 10 days at least and, and try to get over them again so you know there's another addition for the Blue Jays to a lineup that is a top five offense but now you get kind of a left-handed outfield bat in there a good defender somebody who can kind of platoon in in a corner spot that helps right I mean how do you kind of see this playing out playing time wise for the Blue Jays now down the stretch with five outfielders on the roster and and all of them deserving of playing time
1: yeah it definitely helps Dickerson should be a really nice bench option, even for the days that he's not starting. And it sounds like he'll start his first game back. The, you know, One thing that I would just caution anyone watching the Jays is just give this guy some time. And the Jays don't really have the luxury of time because they need to win these games in front of them. They do need to build on their recent success and they do need to continue this run. But man, we saw it with George Springer, we've seen it with other hitters in the past. Like it's just not easy to just drop in against major league stuff and produce right away so the jays would love it if that's possible for dickerson obviously they believe it is or he wouldn't be active but it's a nice element to have that lefty bat in there and, and this offense is already so good i mean i'm thinking to the to the monday game and they had guriel jr on the bench that day you know, shy and i were sitting in the press box kind of looking at each other and thinking hey, is there a good time to, to pinch hit? And then you kind of think about it. There's not necessarily someone, aside from Biggio maybe against a lefty or, or against a righty, depending on how you view Biggio, there's not necessarily a ton of guys you need to pinch hit for on days that Kirk is hitting. So it's a, it's a good lineup that that got maybe a little deeper with Dickerson. We'll see what he can bring, but that is a nice bat to add to this lineup and, and an option for Charlie Montoya late in games.
0: Yeah, it's interesting with Biggio because he's been playing hurt, right? So the Blue Jays have clearly been managing his workload for a little bit, but he had already kind of been faded to a not-everyday player and to a bit of a, a utility guy. Like, he had basically lost all of his playing time at third base to Santiago Espinal over the last week. I mean, coming into today, Tuesday, Espinal had uh, five consecutive starts at third base, and prior to that, Biggio was the guy at third, not Espinal And Espinol kinda of taken that job away from him and Biggio had kind of turned into just a bit more of a like you said, a bench guy, honestly. And that's how deep this this lineup has run. And like coming into this season, certainly last season, last season I like think Biggio led the team in played appearances or like you know, led in certainly in games played. I mean, that's not the way you would have looked at him, but it's just been a tough year. For Cavan Biggio. And I think you know, the, the league has certainly adjusted to him, right? And they're throwing him more pitches on the plate. He's not seeing as many pitches outside the zone that he can spit on and, and it's getting harder to take his walks. Obviously, like the, the troubles of philosophy are are well documented. And then playing hurt, like he just I don't think he's been able to execute the way he's wanted to with his swing. And like, is he ever going to be 100 percent healthy this year? Unlikely. Is he going to be able to get healthy enough to be a productive member of this club down the stretch, you hope. I think he's a better option than Bravic Valera, but we're going to kind of see how this thing plays out down the stretch and just what his role looks like when he returns, particularly if Santiago Espinal keeps doing what he's doing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, both really interesting developments. And as Espinal has started playing so well, Biggio has, has struggled, there's no doubt. And as you say, some of this connects to the injury there's there's no question how much we don't know but some of this connects to the injury now I think too if you look back a couple years and if we had been talking after the 2019 season Vlad Jr. kind of disappoints Bo um, you know at that point obviously well regarded and Biggio it just really seemed like such a good piece for this team and it really surprised some people and put himself on the map and it was almost easy to cluster those three together obviously being sons of major leaguers and I think now we're seeing that you know, Vladdy and Bo are on a different level than, than Biggio. That certainly seems to be clear. And that was the expectation coming up anyways. And it still doesn't mean that Biggio can't be a very good player. I mean, he has all the stuff that we said about him then still holds up. He has an excellent batting eye. He's someone who does bring defensive versatility. He's someone who does work hard and make the most of his talent and bring a professional approach to what he does. So all of that helps him and and will help him emerge from from this slump and i think he's a useful major league player does that mean he needs 600 plate appearances a year like i would say no i think if he's getting 350 for this jay's team in 2022 that seems okay to me i mean i i don't know where you land on that if you think you know that's kind of the right number but uh, to me it's like he doesn't have to be in there every day yeah he's
0: absolutely a useful big leaguer but i think that uh, with as deep as this team runs like He is uh, not an everyday player on this club right now. And it's like you mentioned it. Like, I just quickly looked it up. 2019, Kevin Biggio's OPS plus 113, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., 106. 2020, and I was right, by the way, Kevin Biggio led the Blue Jays in plate appearances in 2020, like with 265, played 59 games. So he saw more plate appearances than any other Blue Jay in 2020. Kevin Biggio's OPS plus, 123, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., 116. There are objective measures by which Kevin Biggio was a more productive hitter than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. the last two seasons. It's kind of crazy to say, right? Because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is like now the best hitter on the planet, essentially. So, you know, that that says a lot about Vlad. That says a lot about, you know, Biggio's decline this year. How much of it is health-related? Probably a fair amount. But some of it too, I think, is adjustments that the league has made to him. Yeah, and so I think that means that
1: for the Jays... If everyone's healthy, I think you want Espinal more often than not at third base when you look at his defense and you look at what he brings.
0: Do you think Santiago Espinal though, is an everyday player or do you think that with everyday playing time, Santiago Espinal also starts getting exposed and adjusted to and looking more like the guy that we saw coming up through the minors?
1: hundred percent. I think it's the right? latter. I mean, I, I don't think that you can bank on him continuing this. You look at his expected offensive numbers. You look at his minor league track record. They do not scream someone who's going to be an above average offensive contributor. Now, he could stand to lose a lot of offensive production. Paired that with his defense, he would still be a useful player. If we were trying to project Espinal forward reasonably, he might be ahead of Biggio. He might also not be a regular player they might have two part-time players here and they're kind of playing the hot hand trying to see who emerges trying to make it work but you know if you're looking longer term you'd still kind of love for jordan Groshans to step up and become a 30 homer guy who can play some third base for you or you know maybe you make a call at the deadline and see what the price is on chris bryant right like you want to you want to still look to be improving at that position but in the meantime i think Espinal's probably the guy who edges ahead of biggio
0: Yeah, this is why I was advocating so much for Eduardo Escobar, who, uh, by the way, I was watching the Brewers last night. All Escobar did was a homer, a triple, and two walks, by the way. So, there goes my boy. But, like, I don't think the Blue Jays have an everyday third baseman on, like, a guy who you were, like, every day you were in at third base in the way that, like, every day Boba Shet's a second, and every day Marcus Simeon's at second base, and every day Vlad or Springer is DH. The first base center field you know what I mean right like I just think that right now Santiago Espinal like to this point has been playing the exact right amount which is like three to four times a week looking for the right matchups looking for the right situations that play to his strengths you know giving him pitchers that he has a higher chance of success against like I think that's why his numbers are what they are because the Blue Jays put him in really good positions but I think if you just automatically put them out there every single day like you're gonna see those numbers come back down and I think like it's it's kind of worth remembering like just how modern lineup construction works where like you were you were thinking about each starting pitcher that you are facing right so like whoever is is coming up on tuesday and wednesday like you order your top 9 against each of those guys and that is like based on you know obviously like right-hander left-hander but also stuff like arm angle and spin and perceived velocity where they like to work in the zone how their pitches behave what your hitters have done against Similar pitchers and guys with similar stuff that behaves in a similar way, similar fashion. Um, you know how they do against you know velocity or spin in the parts of the zone that that pitcher likes to work in, and then you just like take that top nine and you figure out all right who's who needs a day off or like what's our best defensive alignment, and you kind of find something optimally and like in every top nine. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., George Springer, Bobichette, Marcus Simeon are going to be at the top of that top nine, Teoscar to Hernandez as well. But your bottom three to four is going to vary and it's going to shift. And there's going to be some matchups that make more sense for Santiago Espinall. There's going to be some matchups that make more sense for Kevin Biggio when he's healthy. There's going to be some matchups that make more sense for Corey Dickerson, some that make more sense for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. So, you know, I just don't think that, you know, beyond like the obvious dudes. Springer, Guerrero, Simeon, Bichette, Teoscar. I don't think there's anyone else who you just like pencil in every single day as an everyday player.
1: Well, yeah, and the the addition of Dickerson to the outfield mix will likely cut into how often we see Guerrero Jr. to some extent, Gricek to some extent. That's okay. That's part of having a deep team. I mean, <laughs> Luke Voigt, as you mentioned before, might not play a lot for the Yankees. These things happen. And, and to the points about Espinal, I, I think that does make sense. You know, you think back to... 2015, and of course, you know, as we watch the Jays start to play some really good baseball and acquire an ace at the deadline, and they're needing a run, like there are some parallels to 2015. Then playing the role of Ryan Goins is yeah, I knew Santiago it. <laughs> Espinal, right? I knew that's where you're going. Yeah, go ahead. And you know, you don't need uh, at the time, hey, Ryan Goins had a great 2015. The Jays yeah. needed that. He he helped them, but you didn't need 600 plate appearances from Ryan Goins, you know, major league player, help
0: the team. Didn't need to see him bat 600 times. I knew you were I was like, no, I'm not. I wasn't going to do it, right? I was like, I'm yeah. not going to do the Goins comparison. I'm not going to do the 2015 comparisons. But yeah, man, the parallels are, are just yeah. just, just wild. They are
1: there. And it's, it's parallels. It's not the same thing. It's not a carbon copy. How interesting is yeah. it too, by the way, that Alex Anthopoulos, this deadline, he goes out and he gets the rentals for Atlanta, right? Because they're right. trying to kind of stay in the mix and Anthopoulos gets some kind of you know, buy low rentals, doesn't trade the prospects. And here's Mark Shapiro just dealing prospects away. Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's it's a bit of a role reversal compared to what we'd expect, which is why you got to, you know, keep an open mind and not necessarily try to predict
0: everything. Well, and the Braves probably have a much better shot at that division too right than the blue jays do in in the al east like i you know it's, it's what everybody's chasing the mets in that division but they're only yeah. a few games over 500 and you everyone's hurt. in there washington sold off so yeah. yeah and everybody's hurt on the mets so like you, you can like see a scenario where the braves go on a little run here and are like oh hey we might win this division it's
1: tough without acuna but you never know yeah. you never know and so you know, it's not to say that the 15 J's made moves that made sense for that core. And the 21 J's are making different moves that are not just pure rentals. Barrios is not just a rental. So I'm not saying it's the same thing, but there are certain parallels. And, and hey, that was an incredibly entertaining season. So let's hope that the ending to 2021 can be just as captivating and just as entertaining.
0: Yeah, and you made a good point about just kind of adding Dickerson and and lengthening this roster a little bit. Like, you you know, nobody, like, says the Dodgers have problems because they have too many good players and not enough, like, playing time. That's, like, it's not a, you know, it's not a, like, flaw. (laughs) Like, it's a feature. (laughs) That's part of the design is having a lot of good options every day and having a different lineup every day guys playing different positions and you know not having the same nine or not every time out like you want law jams you want depth like you want to be making difficult decisions about who plays and who doesn't? Because that means that, you know, you have a lot of good options and you're more likely to get production out of the bottom third of your batting order. Because so you feel pretty good about, you know, if you're the Blue Jays, you got five guys up top who are all going to be like well over 100 weighted Runs Created Plus, right? They're like all going to be like well, well above league average hitters. So if you can just layer in like better performance in those bottom three for the days when the top of the order isn't getting it done or to continue adding on on the days that the top the order is now you take some stress off your bullpen you take some pressure off of your starters it's kind of easier to to go out and pitch as as a as a pitcher on this team you can better overcome health issues Kevin Biggio doesn't have to play every day through a neck thing right like you can you can I L him if you need to or you can steal him a day here and there you can paper over like you know guys who are a slum- a little bit if Goriel Jr. goes into another one of his epic slumps, like we saw earlier this year, and give him a day or two off, right? You can, you know, pull down the playing time on him a little bit and push up playing time on Dickerson a little bit until Goriel's feeling better at the plate. Like the best teams have those options, and the best teams have a lot of combinations and have like highly variable batting orders and lineup constructions because they have a lot of good players. That's what helps you win. Everybody wants to be like the Dodgers. The Blue Jays aren't there, but they are trying to take steps towards it. And, and hitters
1: at premium positions, right? Strong up the middle. That's another... I'll stop harping on the 15 thing after this, but they were strong <laughs> up the middle in 15 with Martin and Tulo and uh, Kevin Pillar, I guess, would have been their center fielder at that time. So defensively, they had it. Now you look at this Blue Jays team, Bichette, Semyon, George Springer, Alejandro Kirk. Those are defensive positions, and they're getting offense from those positions. I mean... Could argue they need some more defensive catcher, and that's probably a topic for another podcast. But, you know, they're getting offense from that group. And there's
0: more, too, because Kevin Smith is ready when they need him at AAA. Otto Lopez also pushing his way up, you know, at AAA now. He's hit everywhere that he's gone. Another up-the-middle guy. I mean, there's, you know, assuming, you know, Espinal stays relatively productive and sticks around with the organization, like, between him, Smith... Lopez a bunch of the other guys who are pushing their way up like there is going to be sort of competition for that sort of bench utility guy role on this club in future years it's better than having to like go out and like get the Eric Sogards of this world and like having to like go out and try to like find those guys uh, you know get the Ruben Tata's to go and like chill at AAA for a bit in case you need them like it's better when you have like young guys on the come up Within your system, who are going to be filling those roles going forward? Absolutely, even
1: the contending teams need those reinforcements from young players. And despite those trades, Jays still have a very good farm system that will help them this year and and obviously in years to come.
0: No doubt. Uh, he's Ben Nicholson Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. Our producers this week were Christian Ryan and Tom Stewart. And that is going to do it for us. I want to thank you as always for listening, and we will talk to you next week on at the letters.